Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Top of the List. I am your host, Dom, here with the other host, RB. Say what's up, RB. What's up, everybody? And we are here to discuss some more MCU. I feel like this is what we're this is what we're known for at this point, RB. We've I think out of everything, all the top of the list episodes we've made, we've talked about Marvel more than anything else. I would say Marvel and Star Wars for sure. Oh yeah, you could, you could say Star Wars on the same level, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, so we are here to talk about the latest entry, the beginning of Phase Five of the MCU: Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Um, so I think we should. We, there's a lot of spoilers to talk about in this one, but I think yeah. let's let's go into our general impressions. Let's talk about the critic response to this one. Let's talk about Rotten Tomatoes scores. Let's talk about it all, RB, because there's been a lot of stuff to talk about this movie. A lot of it's good, a lot of it's bad in a lot of people's opinions. We'll discuss what we think is, we'll weed through all the noise and reach an opinion. So, RB, I'm handing it over to you. What's your take on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania? Yeah, I, if, if I had to characterize this film by one word, it would be fun. You know, I had a great time watching this movie, and it's been a while since I've gone to a theater and had this much fun in an MCU film. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back now. I mean, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever was a very enjoyable film, but you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very serious film. I wouldn't yeah. use the word fun. You know, Thor Love and Thunder was supposed to be that more fun film, but I, I just, it didn't hit. I don't think it hit for either of us. Multiverse of, of Madness wasn't a big fan of. I think you'd have to go back to, um, to Spider-Man, to Spider-Man No Way Home. The last time I felt this good coming out of, uh, of the theater thinking this was really worth my price of admission uh, with an MCU film. I, I had a great time with it. Uh, I think so far this year, looking through the, the limited number of films I've seen this year, I've seen about eight or nine. This is definitely the best film I've seen so far this year. I'm going to give it... I'm oh, going wow, back and forth really? between an eight and a half and a nine out of ten. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with an eight and a half here. I have okay. a few nitpicks here and there. But all yeah. in all, I think... The fun was, the, the film was equal parts funny when it needed to be, serious when it needed to be. The action sequences were cool. The CG I thought was really neat. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, and, yeah, I'll, I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10 out of the gates. And, again, I could be convinced to give it a little bit higher of a score. I don't think I'd go lower than that because, to me, this was a better-than-great film. Okay, and before I go into mine, I'm curious to know, where does this one sit for you in your list of Ant-Man films, the trilogy? This would, this would definitely be number number two for me. And I, I oh, was not the top prior, list. Okay. Prior to going to this film, I was going through my in my head. I was saying, okay, what are my favorite Marvel standalone? I would call it films. So in in my mind, mm-hmm. I'm thinking films that aren't full on team up films. They can maybe feature you know two characters from different MCU IPs. Um, my first, my first and foremost, my favorite film in the entire MCU is uh, Thor Ragnarok of these standalone films. Mm. Second would be Guardians of the Galaxy. But third, as I really sit down and think about it, get the wheels turning, I love the original Ant-Man. I think okay. Paul Rudd is Scott Lang. The first time we saw him on screen and his wacky band of, of characters. Like I said, I, I rewatched the first one before I went and saw this. You know, And, and Michael Pena and company are just... They were so different than anything else we had seen. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, I would I would put it just a tick below that, just because to me it was so original when the first Ant Man came out, and so unlike what I expected. Um, but this is definitely number two for me on the Ant Man list. Uh, I loved Ant Man and the Wasp too. I know it got a lot of a lot of negative reviews. It seemed when it came out. I enjoyed it as well. It was a fun ride, um, but not nearly as poignant as the first, and of course this one. Yeah, I I think we both kind of sit the same on that one as at the weakest of the three. Um, yeah, I, I myself was not a big fan of Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, mm-hmm. that second film, because to me there was a few missing elements there, but it was still a good ride. I I wouldn't say any of these Ant Man films are you know bad films. It's not like I, I mean personally, when I went and saw Captain Marvel in the theaters, I was like, okay. This is a subpar MCU film to me. And like there's a couple other ones. Thor the Dark World did the same thing. I thought, okay, this feels subpar. But other than that, overall, I'd say Eternals was another one. It felt <laughs> subpar. And but that other than that, overall, I mean, I'm <laughs> like we say, we these these numbers are not uh they're, they're not the number to rule everyone's opinion. This is just how we feel about these. So uh, I guess what I'm saying here is I enjoyed this one, but I think I just enjoyed it about the same as every other Marvel movie we've gotten in the past few years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, and, and to me, that would There's be been the a few standouts. There, yeah, it is a big, it, it kind of is an insult, yeah. Yeah. but it, it's not really an insult because I, I mean, I enjoy all these Marvel films. I haven't given that low of a score except for Eternals. I gave right, really low. Right. And, um, I think that there's been a few standouts since, and I'm talking about purely since like Endgame and Far From Home, which was the end of that phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about purely since then Spider-Man No Way Home. Shang-Chi, yep. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yeah, yeah. Th- those three were the big standouts. I thought were like, okay, these three are cool enough to be great new additions to the series. And, and they made sense and they felt connected enough. They weren't confusing. Well made. Um, script, good scripts. Yeah. But, and then there was like, I think we talked about this on when we were talking about She-Hulk. Then I feel like there's these other films that feel... Very, very, and and I feel like this film falls partially into that category and partially not into this category, where it feels like just an episode of something. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think one of the better examples is Doctor Strange. We we said, man, it was a fun ride. There's a lot of cool stuff that happened, but what really changed by the end of that film? What did yes. we learn about the multiverse that we didn't know about already? Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of our biggest takeaway. It's like they could have gone so much farther with that idea. They really didn't push the limits. And I feel like we've talked about it specifically on TV shows, RB. And please jump in and let me know if you want to say something here. But we talked about it on TV shows where sometimes you say, I feel like this would have, you, you, you say this a lot. I feel like this would have been better done as just a movie. Very and much sometimes so. we Absolutely. Feel like, and I feel like some of these movies are starting to become now where they feel a little too episodic to be a full length feature film. Whereas, okay, fair. Yeah, I could, I could, I could say but, that but about this film. Would you categorize this film? I, see, I couldn't categorize that as this. I would say that about this film. I'd, okay. I'd say that about this film because of, and it, it's kind of like a positive, but it's more of a negative. The fact that 
this just feels like one day in his life. And the narration that Paul Rudd gives at the beginning and the end of this film, uh, it just left me wanting more, but in a way that I felt like, you know, the best... I feel like I'm being too vague. I think it's because I can't talk spoilers. <laughs> because um, at the best Marvel films, they leave you wanting more where, like, you know, you see the teaser of Thanos holding the Infinity Gauntlet at the end of Age of Ultron, and you're like, oh, yeah, let's go. I can't wait to see that. Whereas in this one, I felt like, hmm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep watching, but, you know, I, I'm not I, dying I, to see what happens next. I don't know. I have to disagree here. And, again, okay. uh, this may be a spoiler, so I'm going to prematurely cue yeah. the spoiler warning here. Yeah, let, yeah please. Um. To me, this film, with its specifically its post-credit scene, mm-hmm. got me juiced. Not even the post-credit scene, even Scott's final narration in this film is kind of chilling. Yeah, uh, I, I did not like the way this film ended. RB, really? I okay. loved. I I loved loved the post-credit scenes. Absolutely yes. adored them. And then, but like the actual way the film ended and then we cut to the, the credits, I did not like the way that, that left me, ah, it just See, the, the question, cheesy. The question Scott was asking in that final inner monologue, narration, whatever you want to call it, were the questions I had. All the it audience like, has. Yeah, that's freaking stupid. See, I like Answer that, those though. questions. I, but they can't do that because as we've discussed, it, it's been established that Kang is our big bad. So Kang couldn't have died. It, just, but- it felt so corny when he said, I'm not going to have to worry about this guy anymore, right? Bump, the end. I was like, I oh my it. gosh. Okay. That signature Ant-Man, that signature it's, Peyton Reed. It's sig- I, I yes. loved it. It fit in with all the other Ant-Man films, but like I said, Something I haven't seen before, it was not. That's fair. Something I haven't seen before, it was not. If they had gone in a totally different tonal direction, like someone had freaking died at the end of this film, like I thought Hank Pym was going to die, and that would be the big emotional sacrifice that he has to make. And then we get this big emotional scene where Paul Rudd has to evolve his character. He's like, okay, now Hank Pym's died. I know that he's warned me about, King's warned me about more of him are coming. I need to take on this role of being an actual Avenger and not writing a book on the sidelines like I did at the beginning of this film. I wanted right. to see his character change. At the end of this film, he's pretty much the same. That's, that's fair. my biggest that's, nitpick. That's a fair statement. That's my one big nitpick. And then, and this is why I haven't said my score yet, RB, because I have something really praiseworthy to say about okay. this film. And that's yeah. why I have such a hard time. Maybe you could help me find a way to give, give this one a score. Because I think that we got top three performances of all time in the MCU in this film from Kang. I, I love Jonathan Majors as Kang. Okay. So that's, I, I honestly think that this guy is going to be one of the coolest villains we've ever seen in the MCU. Just the breadth of the acting talent on display here is mind blowing. The way this guy could play so many versions of one person and the menacing that he put behind the conqueror. I mean, this guy hit it out of the park. One of my favorite MCU villains already. 
So it's it's really I, a mixed bag for me on this one. For for the best reasons, I want more of him, and and I completely yeah. agree with you. You know, I, he left me wanting more, but I'm not saying this as a negative because we know we're going to see him again, and that is the yeah. strategy of this these phases from Marvel. I think the worst thing you could have is a villain that is going to be a recurring villain that you say, okay, I'm sick of this guy. Who's next? And I right. do not feel that way about Jonathan Majors King. Um, I, I do think, and I wish, like I said, I spent time reviewing the original Ant-Man. I wish instead I had reviewed what happened in Loki, especially in the end before I went and saw this, because most of my yeah. questions center in there that this is a different King, I would assume, right? Yes. Than, than that King. And there are a ton of other Kings, but who is so, the King? And I guess the answer is mm-hmm. the King in in uh, Loki, who is responsible for the TVA and pruning timelines, correct? Right, right. So, so there's he who remains. Yes, and that's who we saw in Loki. That's who we saw in Loki, and that is not the version that we saw in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. As a matter of fact, the version we see, he who remains, he's like the oldest version of this character. Mm-hmm. In my, that's my theory. I, I, as far as I understand it, uh, he's the oldest version of this character. Whereas, because he even refers to himself, he says, "Oh, I was even a conqueror once," and that's the ver- that that's who we saw in this movie. We saw the conqueror the that conqueror, was banished. Yes. So, so there's he who remains. There's the conqueror, and then there <laughs> there's Kang Tut. <laughs> yep. So that yep. was pretty cool. So, but anyway, so yeah, I, I I've been dying to talk to King about you, RB. So. I'm really glad to see that you enjoyed his inclusion in this film. But the performance for me, I mean, some of his monologues in this film, I when they just kept – he kept going and they just didn't cut the camera. I was like, man, mm-hmm. give me more of that. I yep, need that. Yep. Yeah, Jonathan I Major love is really his out of the park in this role. Um, and I'm I'm glad this is our big bad because, again, I felt a very similar way about Thanos. He was a very much a slow burn in the Infinity Saga. It wasn't we got everything we needed to know about Thanos in that first appearance. In fact, his first appearance was in the post credit scene of the original Avengers, if I'm not mistaken. And I didn't know who the heck he was. Like, I'm not a big comic book reader. I, he kind of looked like he had like a Magneto helmet. I, I was like, what, what's going on here? Who is this? I had to dive in, do some research. Um... And you don't really understand his entire plight, I would say, until, gosh, really Infinity War when he has the the reality stone and he's talking to – I think it's Tony Stark where he's talking about what Titan was before, you know, the overpopulation and what his plight is when he gets all the Infinity Stones. And I think that's how it's going to be with Kang. Um, And, you know, as much as I want to know everything now, I'm okay because – the MCU did it once, they can do it again by creating this great villain just peeling back layer by layer. Yeah, and and this is why I kind of have a hard time placing this one because, like I said, I really wasn't a big fan of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I did enjoy the original Ant-Man despite, uh, what's the guy, Yellow Jacket as, is is that right, Yellow Jacket is the villain in that one? Yellow Jacket, yep. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's not as good. He wasn't one of the better MCU villains at the time. I remember saying that. But in this film, he reappears as Modoc, 
And yes, R- he does. RB, please, please tell us about Modoc because this is one of my favorite parts of this movie. This was, I mean, for those Marvel fans who are out there, you saw in the theatrical trailer that Modoc was going to make an appearance. You didn't know it was going to be Yellow Jacket. I think Darren right. is his name. Yeah, Darren Cross. Darren Cross, yes. But you you saw that Modoc was going to be in here. Now here's my my background of Modoc, and I'm sure many mild MCU fans are the same way. You watch the the off the off color humor cartoon on Hulu, Modoc, mm-hmm. and which I thought was great, which I thought was funny. Oh yeah. But yes. I figured, how are they going to turn this in to a, a more serious villain? Now it's Ant Man, so it doesn't have to be a super serious villain, but a serious enough villain to play in the MCU, and you do it by bringing in a character like Darren Cross, who is kind of a psychopathic genius, right. and you give him a backstory like he, you know, it, it all fits in. He was sent into the quantum realm. He's found by Kang and sort of re-engineered to be this this weapon. But you, the way he played it is incredible, as almost. You know, Darren going back and forth between Darren and Modoc and, and who he is. I thought it was incredible. I thought this role took itself seriously when it needed to, was funny and poignant when it needed to, when it needed to be. And bravo to, I, I do not have the actor's name in front of me. Do you know that off the top of your head, Dom? Oh, I don't have it off the top I'll, of my I'll, head. I'll pull so. it up. But, uh, you know, yeah. anything you'd like to add on the thoughts of, yeah. of Modoc and how this is played by. I'm going to get there. I'm definitely going to get there. Uh, no, I'm not. Go ahead. Uh, your thoughts, Uh-oh. though, on uh, on uh, Corey Stoll <laughs> as Darren yeah, Cross, Modoc. Yeah, Corey Stoll uh, as Modoc is really great in this movie. I enjoyed seeing a crucial part of the Marvel lore included in this film. Um, not included in the way that he is in the comics. But I'm okay with that. Uh, in my opinion, that wasn't. It actually it fit better the way they, like you said, they included him in the MCU story than if they had tried to put him in as the leader of. I forget what the organization he leads in the comics is, but it's the people that wear the yellow suits. I I forget what they're called. But anyways, you if you're a comics fan, you'll know what his uh, organization he leads is. But um. Yeah, so I'm glad they didn't go that direction because it wouldn't really fit in the MCU. They made a good version of this character that fit the MCU well. Uh, his jokes hit. Uh, his death was funny. I thought yes. I was laughing yes. because they just wanted him to die and get get over with. I thought that was good. That was now, a good funny end to this. Here's kind of my only struggle with the end of Modoc's character. It's Cassie who kind of turns him, and she speaks yeah. to him like she knows who he is. And that kind of upset me because there were other characters who knew Darren Cross far better than a six-year-old Cassie that he tried to kill. Yeah. I mean, I think it would have been funnier if it was like Hope who told him to stop being such a dick. Yeah. Because they dated. Yeah. They, I mean, they were they were dating, if I'm not mistaken, in the original Ant Man, right? I, 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 they, I, honestly, it feels like a lot of that. It feels like they were making fun of the original Ant Man in a lot of his scenes. Like a lot of the stuff okay. when they're like when they're rolling their eyes when they just want him to die they're like gosh is this guy gonna be done yet like <laughs> it's basically because he was one of the worst villains in the MCU but in this movie he was good so yeah, it, it yeah. made it up a little bit so but yeah so it, this one's a mixed bag for me RB because 
It's kind of my favorite of the three Ant-Man films okay. in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Although I wouldn't say that it, besides having an awesome villain, it didn't really move the story forward. I mean, well, I'm here, talking about the title of the question. movie is Ant-Man and the Wasp. How did their story move forward? Here is my major question for you. Yeah. I mean, and, and granted, you're, you're absolutely right in, in stating that, that this didn't move Scott and uh, Evangeline Lilly, uh, Hope, Hope's characters forward, except for, okay, Hope now runs Pim, Pim Tech and is saving the world that way. Scott is kind of retired. Cassie now has a suit. Um, but, you know, here's my more my question is, to me – we had discussed how this film was going to move the MCU forward. And to mm-hmm. me, it does that by introducing yes. King. Now, does it do it enough? Maybe is my it, answer. To me, it just feels like a slight peek behind the curtain, and that's all we get. But When that's... I really wanted a full reveal and impending doom felt tonally at the end. Whereas at the end in this one, it's like, He's he's gone for now, but he'll be back. I, I mean, that's you, not the tone I was looking for. Did you not feel? And I mean, I know I did. That's kind of how I felt at the end of Avengers. It was like, okay, we defeated Loki and the Chitari, and now there's this bad guy who says he's going to do it himself. But it didn't feel like we were in imminent danger that Thanos was coming then and there. No, but. It felt like there was something coming, and I, I think we feel like there's something coming in the post credit scene for sure. Yes, but not quite. It's just not quite to the level. I think maybe I'm being too picky. But now, now let me ask you yeah. my question mm-hmm. here about King. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What the Conqueror? I should say. What our takeaway is, at least when I got to it, is that with with Scott's final monologue, and then seeing all these other Kings coming. The Conqueror was kind of a good guy, it seemed. Am, am, I, am I off base there? That he was the one that was kind of keeping all the other Kangs intact? Or in, in, in yeah. away from destroying sure. the world? And that's okay. what I mean. I, I think there's more to that story that we just didn't get. We just didn't get. I, and, and I think what, I'm, what I kind of wanted was I wanted a little bit more in the movie about the council. But I guess you can't really add that even then because that would be giving away a lot. And so, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just in a mixed mood on this yeah. one. But I, what I will say, though, compared to the other MCU films, I look at, like I said, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And this film feels very similar as far as the way it ends. Right. So if it, the stakes in that one were huge. The multiverse was going to end. In this one, I felt the stakes were huge, too. If Kang gets out, then he's going to destroy Earth in the entire timeline. Okay, so some pretty big stakes in these films. Although, at the end of each film, the main character just goes back to their normal lives, walking down the street like they normally do, and then they run into something else, and that's the next issue in the comic book to be continued. Was it, was it not Like, you know quite, what I mean? <laughs> I mean, did you not get the exact same vibe with Scott Lang walking down the street at the end that a third eye was going to pop up on his head like stupid Doctor Strange oh, at the of, end. It was the same exact shot. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It, it just seems and, – and and so let's look back. 
let's look back in the MCU RB, and let's look way back. Let's look at the comparison point here, because this is supposed mm-hmm. to be the beginning of what would be the second phase of this saga, right? Right, right. What was the beginning of the second phase of the MCU RB? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was it, it was Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, you are correct. Followed closely after by Captain America, right? Winter Soldier. Uh, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, and then a year later, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Got it. So those all three of those films are perfect examples of, of what I have a problem with. Why this is, yes, it's a good addition to the MCU. Do not get me wrong there. But this is not an outstanding Marvel movie because we've proven time and time again that the MCU is capable of giving a good standalone film that also makes massive changes to the lore. First and foremost, I think Iron Man 3 did a pretty decent job at this, but even more so, Captain America Winter Soldier. That is a standalone film. Yes, there's other characters in it, like the Falcon and Bucky. Mm-hmm. Of course, fine. There's, you know, the Wasp is in this movie, Kang's in this movie. You could make the comparisons there. Yep, yep. But in that movie, Captain America starts in a very specific place. And by the end of that film, his whole ideology about the world and who he is has been tested to such a degree that he has to go rogue. A massive character shift. Captain mm-hmm. America goes on rogue from America. Massive character shift. Right. Okay? So I, I think that we just didn't get that big character arc that we needed in this movie to make it an outstanding addition to the Marvel overall. But like I said, fantastic villain. And it was a lot of fun to watch. The action was fine. I enjoyed it overall. So yeah. my overall score, What's what should I put score? it as? <laughs> I, I think I'm sitting near seven and a half or an eight. Okay. Okay. So Come like on. better just, than good. Just for, almost for Modoc alone, you have to give it an eight. Come oh, on. yeah. I, I, I think it's definitely approaching greatness. Approaching okay. greatness. Okay. Approaching greatness right. for sure. All right. So I guess. But not must the, see. The only question is now – so let's, let's look at what's coming up for the rest of the phase. I mean Please, next yes. up we have Guardians of the Galaxy. That's going to be in about three months. And dude, uh, I'm telling you, I watched the trailer before this one. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Every time I watch that Guardians 3 trailer, tears come into mm-hmm. my eyes. Dude, that movie is going to be like a 10 out of 10, I feel like, one of the best movies. I am so hyped for that one. It's it's going to be amazing. I'm very I'm, excited. I'm, oh my god, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so we will have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, The Marvels, which comes out November of this year, mm-hmm. and then we have to wait till May of 2024 when we get Captain America: New World Order. <sighs> what are we? How are we thinking? You know, this is going to advance this. I, I don't see much room for advancing the the King Saga here. I think our big savior is Loki season two. Okay. That's, that's going to be our big so savior. So that, that is my question. Yeah. So I'm looking at, at films here. What, what are our next TV projects? I think Loki season two is pretty much the only big one on the, on the docket as far as okay. I'm concerned. Let's see here. Uh, so yeah, Secret Invasion will be as well ah, this year. Yes. That, okay. Secret that could Invasion, be another big one. Which is the scrolls, Correct. But that could they could tie that in with Kang as well, so very much so. So yes, it'll be that. And that's another big one. Uh, now it seems like Loki. they're starting to lean into the TV to take that storyline. 
Yes, and Loki, obviously, I mean, from our post credit scene, that's going to answer, seem to be the main timeline that's going to be following Kang. Right, right. So, that, you're, you're right, that seems to be the next major, major role here. Now, the question is, what do we do with, uh, you know, how are the Guardians going to tie into all of this, of course, and how are, how are the, you know, the Marvels, which is what, yeah. Captain Marvel and, and Miss Marvel now? And another thing I also wanted to tell you, Arby, they also announced that Agatha Coven of Chaos, the, mm-hmm. the Agatha Harkness series. Yes. Kang will make an appearance in that as okay. well. So how he's related, what version of him we'll be seeing, we don't know. I think a sorcerer version of him would be pretty awesome to see in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like he's going to be popping up in the TV series a lot, but... As far as uh, Guardians, it feels like it's going to be almost kind of like a closing chapter to that magnum opus for John for James Gunn. Yeah. But then, okay. like after that, the Marvels maybe. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm more excited for Loki season two now after seeing this film. I agree, and that's that should be coming in the next three four months. There's no official release date yet. It's Mid-2023, we have Secret Invasion first, which is early 2023, so that should be coming out any any day now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that'll be exciting. Also, you know, on the docket, as I pull it up here for Disney+, Plus, this, uh, this series, or this phase, is What If, Ironheart, Echo, Agatha, Coven of Chaos, and Daredevil Born Again. We'll see when all this stuff comes out, man. Dang. Yeah. And yeah. like and like we were saying before when we were discussing the MCU, how are they going to tie all these different worlds they've built in this phase four that we've just gotten out of? How are they going to tie all that together? How are they going to tie Werewolf by Night with Moon Knight and, uh, you know, Scarlet Witch and mm-hmm. Eternals? <laughs> yep. Spider-Man apparently is coming back in a big way. Tom Holland, how is he going to come back in all this? What happened to Hawkeye? We haven't heard anything. It's been over a year since we've gotten Hawkeye. Yep, yep. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of Shang-Chi? weird stuff going Where's on. Where's Shang-Chi going to fit in all of this? Where's Shang-Chi with all this? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, so we'll a see. Lot of, a lot of questions, definitely. Um, I am pretty frightened that we're not going to get the answers to them anytime soon. But the yeah. the only the only only thing I can sort of get from it is every one of these Kangs is from a different universe and yep. some of these characters are just on different timelines and different you know different planes and we're we'll, we're just gonna have to see how they all merge together similar to how we got all three of the spider-mans together on screen we'll see we'll yeah. see yeah I, I i don't know what to expect at this point and i guess that's both a good thing and a bad thing yeah but uh We'll be here with you guys on top of the list to discuss everything coming out of the MCU in the future and everything that Kang has to hold. So we'll see what happens there. But overall, RB and I do give this a recommend. Definitely worth the ticket price to go check this one out in theaters. Or maybe if you want to wait till it's on Disney+, Plus, that's a good way to do it as well. Um, if you guys want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter and on Letterboxd, the description uh, those links are in the description down below. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify, of course. RB, you want to let the people know what we got coming out soon? 
Absolutely. So big, big upcoming film release. Uh, I think it hits theaters this Friday uh, will be Cocaine Bear. Uh, so we will definitely be review- reviewing that in the next couple of weeks, depending on when we can get out to the theater and see that. For those of you who aren't quite familiar with Cocaine Bear, it's loosely based on a true story about a large amount of cocaine being dropped in the Appalachian wilderness that is discovered by a bear. And what happens with that bear afterwards? This is going to be sort of a slasher comedy, it seems, or monster comedy, so to speak. The best way I can describe it and hope for with it, as I see in the trailers, is almost like a Jaws-esque film. Land Jaws, if you will. (laughs) Um, But with a little bit more comedy, it seems, for sure. So I'm really excited to see what they can do with this. Seeing the trailers, I could not be more excited for this film. So we'll definitely be reviewing that. And then, of course, we're coming up on the tail end of The Last of Us. We, of course, reviewed the pilot of The Last of Us. Um, So you can go back, listen to that. Hopefully you've been watching along with us, and we are excited to talk The Last of Us once everything is released, and that'll be within the next month, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. So we'll see you guys on the next episode of Top of the List. Later, everybody.